a victory Monday. What is this weird, weird feeling? This unorthodox thing. I can get used to this. Even if it does cost the Brewers their manager. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lombardi Time Brews, where I'm your host, John Delray. Today, we are reviewing the win. Yes, the Green Bay Packers coming off a 20-3 victory over the Los Angeles Rams yesterday. And for once in this shout-outs and get-outs, we have more shout-outs to do than get-outs. As I said, refreshing, unorthodox, pleasant. So, a couple of announcements before we get there. One, this coming Wednesday at 4.30 Lambo time, I'll be going live again, kind of becoming the Wednesday norm now. So let's all gather together Wednesday at 4.30. Even if your notifications on the channel aren't working like I've heard, mark it down in calendars. 4.30, let's get together. Any questions, concerns, comments you have, let's hang out and talk Packers for a little bit. Second, if you could please, if you are a regular on the channel, if you enjoy the content, me, even if it's just Claudia, that's fine too. But if you could put comments or something like share this video, as we've all seen, we we're talking about it in the watch party. Numbers have been a little down for the channel lately. So if you could please help it out, even if the comment just says, hi, I'll hi back. And that may help the YouTube gods uh, get things back in the swing in their algorithm. So let's talk Packers. What an impressive, yet not perfect, but what an important victory for the Green Bay Packers. This team needed a win and needed it in the worst way. Yes, it was against another losing team. Yes, it was against Brett, Brett Rippon, a backup quarterback. But it also was still against Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup, Puka Nakua. And really, look, you can only play who's on your schedule. They won by 17. It's not like they had to eke out some last second field goal. The Green Bay Packers should not feel the need to apologize for getting a victory, even if you were hoping that they'd lose out to secure better draft position. Young teams need to learn how to win. And how do you do that? By winning. So they earned this one. And they, they fought through, they got the win, including even having to overcome some of their own injuries. We saw progress the entire point of this season. So with that, let's get right to it. Let's get to some shout outs. Five shout outs, four get outs. Let's do it. Number one actually goes to the defensive rookies. They stepped up in this game when they needed to, including when Kenny Clark left with his shoulder injury. Carrington Valentine, I'm going to talk about him shortly. He may get his own shout out, but even the rest of the defensive rookies along with him. Lucas Van Ness logged 20 snaps, got a QB hit, and two official stops. Carl Brooks made his presence known with deflections and penetration. And... The man, the myth, the legend, Anthony Johnson Jr., seventh-round safety out of Iowa State. Look, if you were around during draft time, you know I'm a big fan of his, but I was still concerned about a guy who had like eight career NFL snaps playing safety and helping out in coverage against Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua. Yet it didn't really matter. Per PFF, he did not allow a single reception in coverage and had one of the most physical pass breakups that we've seen from a member of the Packers secondary in some time. And it was clean, too. There was no helmet to helmet and wrist or anything like that. Perfectly clean, got his shoulder in there and lodged out the ball. He played quick. He played energetically. And he was a great replacement for Rudy Ford. 
I do still really like his long-term prospects in the NFL, and especially next to someone whose play he was a little reminiscent of, next to Rudy Ford. I'm not saying that's a guaranteed future safety tandem, but some wheels are turning if they can keep it up. Shout-out number two goes to quarterback. Jordan Love. Overall, he was 20 of 26 for a 77% completion, uh, completion percentage, I'm sorry, and an 8.8 yards per attempt with one touchdown and zero interceptions. Now, in full transparency, I know that this is the easy critique. 16 of his 26 attempts were within 10 yards. And I fully understand that that is the go-to easy critique. But he took the easy throws yesterday. And it wasn't every throw was easy either but he did take a number of the easy ones and he completed them. Sometimes that's all you need to do. And he did. Even looking at those six incompletions, one of them happened to be a spike. One was a drop by Malik Heath, the only drop that the Packers had. Yesterday was Jordan Love's highest PFF graded game of the year. It shows, and this is a step in the right direction. It's amazing what better line play and a running game can do for a young quarterback, huh? Moving on to, actually, let's add an aside here too. I do want to give a shout out, not a full-fledged one, kind of a half one, to Coach Matt LaFleur. He elevated the level of creativity shown in the offense yesterday, including, I know others have pointed it out in other places, but including outward motion that the Miami Dolphins have employed, or even that play where Jordan Love looked to the left for the sweep, looked to the right for the sweep, did a ballerina 360, found Luke Musgrave in the middle of the field. That's actually a play that the 49ers have run successfully to George Kittle before. Matt LaFleur explained earlier in the season that they are going, how they're evaluating everything. They're, tr- they're going to openly steal plays, just like other teams have stolen from the Packers for years. They're going to steal what works and try to implement it. He lived up to his word. It did work. And he does deserve credit for elevating that entire aspect of the game. Shout out number three goes to the offensive line. Elevated play applies to them as well, not just Matt LaFleur. They allowed a total of seven pressures. And they also had several run-leading blocks, particularly by center Josh Myers and right guard slash temporary left guard Sean Ryan when he did see limited game action, both in the midpoint of the game and to close out the game in his limited opportunities. Watching anyone on the interior having the ability to clear a run lane is, again, a step in the right direction and something we haven't seen, frankly, four weeks. Number four, Carrington Valentine and second half with Jair Alexander. Let's talk about Jair first because I don't know what switch flipped for him at halftime because in half one, he was still doing a lot of outside shade. And granted, I know that that's the, that's the scheme. He's supposed to hand receivers off to the safety, but like it still looked at times like he was getting caught flat-footed, that he was behind a receiver, and there were a couple easy completions that went right to guys that Jair was covering. And I just, I felt like, oh no, he's still not right. This is him going up against Jordan Addison last week all over again. He goes in for the half, and he comes back out like a different player. I don't know if he just flipped the switch. I don't know if he just finally had enough and decided to change his mental state. Who knows? But the guy we saw in the second half is completely different than that in the first half. He was actually fully extending his body again. He was getting cutting off receivers to break up plays. We saw that repeatedly, and he did have three pass breakups actively flying all over the field. 
Now, I do still think some of those where he cut off the receiver were maybe a tinge aggressive, maybe over aggressive, and that like a superior or a throw with more zip on it may come back to bite them. But still, to see Jair get aggressive and not just be easily passed by receivers was quite promising. Speaking of promising, Carrington Valentine, what a coming out party for the seventh round corner. Now, I say coming out party, but I understand fully, like this isn't going to be the norm for Carrington Valentine week in and week out. But how do you not love his performance yesterday? Per PFF's crediting system, he was targeted eight times, allowing only one catch for 14 yards. He also logged two pass breakups of his very own, and he also got in one Dikembe Mutombo finger wave, which was awesome to see. And that's the point, is it wasn't just the play on the field. It was the Carrington Valentine brought along a certain amount of swagger that then he also backed up kind of reminiscent of an earlier career, Jair Alexander. It was something that realistically the Packers defense could use a little bit more of. It was really refreshing to see from someone so youthful and from someone wearing number 37, if you'd like to entertain shades of Sam Shields running around out there. The last shout out actually goes to inside linebacker, Isaiah McDuffie. He earned himself two shout-outs from Matt LaFleur himself in the post-game press conference yesterday. And he's someone who didn't necessarily embody that kind of smash-mouth persona that Carrington Valentine and others may have, but he was massively impactful in the game yesterday. Filling in for Quay Walker, McDuffie wound up with seven tackles and four stops while not even allowing a target in the passing game. To me, he embodied the difference for a defender allowing the game to them to come to them or stepping to the game themselves, basically being uh, a dictator instead of being someone who's passive. We talk about that in terms of overall scheme a lot, but it certainly applies to individual players as well. And one of my knocks on McDuffie to this point has been I felt like too often he would take the Blake Martinez style of inside linebacker and allow the play to fully come to him, but not yesterday. Yesterday, he was constantly trying to get into the backfield and make the play. If his play stays elevated to this level, the Packers have a trio of legitimate inside linebackers who can lead a defense. Now, I know they were going against a backup quarterback, McDuffie, Valentine, Alexander, the entire defense all included. but. This wasn't a game where Brett Rippon was dropping back and then throwing just these Hail Marys all over the field, winding up out of bounds. Did you see that many throws from Rippon yesterday that were horrifically off target? Maybe his decision-making was a notch slow. No, he's not as good as Matthew Stafford, doesn't have the fastball. But this was a fairly dominant performance by the Green Bay Packers defense. They only gave up three points. But even look at their run defense. Daryl Henderson didn't exactly get much going on the ground. Rippon certainly didn't through the air. This was a complete performance by the defense, and they do deserve those accolades no matter who they were going up against because they get paid too. And now, the outs. Yeah, we did our shout-outs. Now we got to get to the get-outs. They're certainly more brief since the Packers experienced a 17-point win, but still, these are undeniably places that either need some clarity, things to work on, etc., etc. One. 
the offensive offsides calls. This isn't even an indictment on the Packers. This is what in the sweet hell is going on with the NFL refs. If you're going to call that on Green Bay, you best be calling that every Sunday, every Monday, every Thursday night against basically any team that lines up for fourth and one ever, including the brotherly shove, the tush push, whatever, whatever you want to say the Philadelphia Eagles do, because there's enough stills that went all over the internet last night that shows where John Runyon was for his two offensive offsides versus where a number of the Eagles have lined up for weeks. <laughs> Matt LaFleur said in his press conference today that he is awaiting clarity from the NFL as to what exactly happened there. But here's the rub, right? Even if the NFL contacts Matt LaFleur, even if they put out a statement tomorrow that says, yeah, yeah, I was an overzealous ref crew. We do want to emphasize offensive linemen being on their side of the ball, but yeah, that was a bit much. So what? It's not going to give the Packers their two drives back. Packers are finally actually moving the ball in the first half and had two drives killed because of these calls. So even if the NFL admits their mistake, it's not exactly helpful. That's a get out to the NFL referees. Now, beyond that, let's talk John Runyon Jr. Okay. Sean Ryan came in for a stretch yesterday and immediately made some lane clearing blocks for the run game. And I get it. Like earlier in the year, they played Royce Newman in front of Sean Ryan. And there's been a lot of questions as to what's going on with Sean Ryan. Why can't he see the field? He finally did yesterday, proving that he probably is the top backup for the interior now. And in some ways, he looked better than John Runyon Jr. has. I mentioned earlier that the offensive line gave up seven pressures yesterday. John Runyon Jr. had two. His PFF grading was truly abysmal as well. Overall, a grade of 42, run blocking 52, pass blocking 29. Been a big supporter of his for a long time, but this year he just doesn't have it. John Runyon Jr. looks lost at times this year. He doesn't have pop in a lot of his blocks. It's just not working. So let's take a look at that. Let's honestly evaluate it. And let's also say... John Ryan may be the future of one of the guards on the offensive line. John Runyon Jr. is in the final year of his contract. If he's going to be retained, it's not going to be at a high level, and it might be in the form of like a Lucas Patrick-type deal that he was doing towards the end of his tenure in Green Bay, a, a pseudo-backup starter with flexibility at multiple positions. That's the only way I see John Runyon Jr. coming back anymore, unless he truly goes back to the way that he was last year or even better over the course of the final stretch of the season here. But why not evaluate Sean Ryan? In the preseason, Ryan was outperforming Runyon then too. It's not like this is new. And Sean Ryan probably has a level of nasty, a level of physicality and a level of strength that the interior line doesn't have. Outside of really Elton Jenkins, who's at least coming back and back and closer and closer to form. I think it's time to make the switch. So I, I, number two, number two, get out. That Jordan Love throw to Christian Watson. I'm not talking about the one near the end that Christian Watson got hurt on. I think there's at least an argument to be made that the ball placement there was pretty good, that there weren't many other places that he could have hit Watson that would have resulted in a better play than what happened, even if Watson did wind up getting hurt on that play. But the throw down the left sideline that occurred earlier in the game was drastically underthrown by Jordan Love. There is no defense of that throw. It was bad. 
On the whole, the deep ball accuracy of Jordan Love has been a problem, especially when targeting Christian Watson. They've been out of sync for months, and the early season injury to Christian Watson, the several injuries that Christian Watson has endured this season, has done them no favors. Christian Watson, also, it should be noted that that catch that he made towards the end of the game along the right sideline, that was his first contested catch completion of the year. So while Jordan Love hasn't been doing him a ton of favors in terms of ball placement, the favors haven't been returned either with Christian Watson's inability to come down with the difficult catch. That throw yesterday along the left sideline, nope, none of that rationale applies. That was straight up a bad throw. When it comes to deep ball accuracy, Matt LaFleur was asked about that throw today, what the solution is for Jordan. And Matt LaFleur basically went on to explain, Jordan needs to stop thinking, grip it and rip it. We've long speculated that Jordan Love has been thinking too much about these deep throws, trying to drop it right into a basket like his predecessor may have done. Matt LaFleur doesn't think so. Or Matt LaFleur does think he's overthinking, doesn't think he needs to worry about putting the ball in a basket. There we go. What Matt LaFleur is saying is Jordan Love just needs to go out and play. Along with that, though, I will say, too, this is get out number Three, Matt LaFleur thinks that he needs to get out and play. Grip it and rip it when it comes to the deep ball. But, Matthew, I would say you need to do the same thing in the first half with your offensive pacing. Was it slightly better yesterday? Yes, it still was not good enough. There was no sense of urgency from this offense in the early portion of the game. Embrace the youth. Don't allow the defense to make substitutions and get their perfect packages on the field to defend whatever you're throwing at them. I'd still, I know there was more success yesterday, but this is going to be a hangup of mine until we see improvement there. Let go of the controls, Matthew. Let the offense be young and let them sling it and also do it without having under 10 seconds left on the play clock. Get them moving. Grip it and rip it. And number four, the final get out. No Lambo leap for Luke Musgrave. I know this is just kind of a funny one, but like, look, dude got his first touchdown in Lambo yesterday. Go do a Lambo leap, young man. In fact, I saw some conversation on Twitter about this earlier, specifically Aaron Nagler brought it up as well. What happened to the Lambo leap? The Cincinnati Bengals are doing some kind of jungle jump crap now. The Green Bay Packers got to bring back the Lambo leap. And it starts with the youth. Get up there, man. Get up there, Ruck. It can't go away. I wanted to make note of one final thing. This isn't truly a get out or a shout out because frankly, it's both. How about the fumble by Dontavian Wicks yesterday? Trying to reach out too much. You can argue it's fluky. You can argue he shouldn't have reached out his arm the way he did. Whatever. That part, that's a get out. But Aaron Jones deserves special mention here. Dontavian Wicks reached out with the ball, fumbled it, ran scoop it up. And you see Dontavian Wicks visibly upset, his helmet hanging low, walking back to the Packers' sideline. And I was so thankful that the camera caught it, that Aaron Jones stepped in and didn't just like go, hey, Rook, it's okay. Look, we'll get him. We'll get him. No, that wasn't good enough for Aaron Jones. He walked over, put his hands on the two sides of the helmet, and lifted Wicks' head up so that he could look him dead in the eyes and tell him, We'll get you back. It's all right. And then you see them on the sideline, Aaron Jones, arm around Wicks. Another player comes up. 
that's leadership that's community and you can say whatever you want about aaron jones you can't replace that kind of leadership and it doesn't grow on trees and i'm just thankful that the telecast actually caught that moment of impactful leadership from the packers leader it was really nice to see so there you have it Green Bay Packers win 20 to 3 over the Los Angeles Rams. On Wednesday, I'll be going live at 4:30 Lambo time. So join me for a hangout. We'll do comments, questions, whatever you got on your mind. Wednesday at 4:30. Thanks so much for being here today. And as always, go pack go.